The button has been pushed. Commencing podcast now. You know, I think we're heading towards those Wally people, you know, just with the big floating recliners. Welcome to Pop Tech Jam, the independent audio magazine about consumer technology, pop culture, and yet another week in the queue life, but we're rolling into, I think it's technically the unofficial start of summer now, so some season whipped by us. El Kaiser, it is, we, we are uh, Memorial Day, right? It is Memorial Day, but it doesn't count anymore. It's all Blur's Day. It's all one giant day. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter. I am so tired of wearing sweatpants, JD. I really, really am tired of wearing sweatpants. Well, can you put on some snappy chinos and just walk around a little bit just so your legs don't forget? I think I might have to. I mean, if they fit, I mean, because all I've been doing is like working and eating. Yes, you got your COVID-19 pounds. I I do indeed. I do indeed. I'm seriously, I don't, you know, I don't like wearing shoes now. Mm -hmm. I'm getting all hippie. I got a beard. I've never grown a beard in my life. Now I'm coming feral, I think. Yeah. I am coming feral. I'm seriously going to start like hunting my own food. Mm-hmm. I mean, them squirrels outside better watch out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you can sort of practice hunt like I'm going to go and get the hungry man portion. Yes, the there we section. go. Nice, nice. Yeah, pre- pre-packaged hunting. Urban so. hunting. Is that it? Yes. I like that. You I know, like and that. well, in a lot of the bars in the city, and, and this is not particularly good for public health, but there's this new trend because the weather's gotten warmer of walk tails where because they've relaxed some of the uh, liquor licenses mm-hmm. and, and places that could not normally package liquor to go if they're selling food or throwing in a bag of chips, they can they can sell you a drink and they need to to move merch and make money. So the walk tails are a thing where you just kind of cruise by, you order a thing, you pay with your phone, they hand it to you and you in theory keep on walking. Although people desperate for social contact are, are standing around in front of the bar talking like it's, you know, five o'clock on London on a Friday and everyone's just out there with their pints. So people are not paying attention to what we should be doing. Wear a mask, people. Wear a mask. Yes. It's just one small thing you can do for somebody's grandmother. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And stop wearing sweatpants. That's yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> or get some chinos. Uh, did chinos. we introduce ourselves? I can't remember we did that part. Uh, I know who I am. Who are you? Yes. I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. Well, I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. All right. So this is our show, Pop Tech Jam. It is indeed uh, hope, Pop Tech Jam. Hopefully this is your first episode because we, we totally broke format yeah, we there. But, totally broke the format. But uh, but we're here and we've got some tech news to talk about and a request from a reader who, who wanted to know something about remote podcasting platforms. Yes. But before we get to all that, you have your what I'm watching this week moment to share. Let me tell you something. I've said this before. You know it. I've told my friends repeatedly. I'm not going to watch anything that's remotely intense or serious or even close to being about a pandemic or a disease or a documentary about 1918 or nothing like that. All right. So you need shiny, happy rainbows here. Shiny, happy rainbows. And you can't get more shiny, happy rainbows than She-Ra and the Princesses of Power on Netflix. Okay, so you you found an uplifting program to uh, lose yourself in? Absolutely. I don't know if you remember He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. This was was sort of 80s, right? Yes, it was 80s. Exactly, exactly. It was college watching. I'll put it that way. Okay, you know, like after class and before you go out with your friends or supposedly study, when Mm -hmm. I was in college, we would watch He-Man. All right, so you get a bag of tacos and this is your show. Exactly. And there was also... The spinoff, which was Shira, Princess okay. of Power. 
the distaff version. Exactly, the distaff version. But that version looked like a Barbie doll with a giant sword, right? Okay. And I'm not going to get into plot because, folks, I'm not going to waste your time. Because <laughs> there was none. But there, there, yeah, there continue. was Continue. But the idea now is they brought the show back, much like they did Voltron. The vibe has switched Instead of this simplistic of I'm fighting the evil horde, they've really enhanced the the relationship and the, as weird as it's going to sound, the realistic portrayal of a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old or a teenage, quote-unquote, princess. The interaction between these girls is realistic from a, and I'm a dad of a 14 year old daughter. All right. So you're having some pattern recognition here. I can see some pattern recognition. And I, and I realized when my daughter and all her friends were into this show and I'm talking, you know, I'm talking like Manhattan cool kid, they're watching Shira and the princess of princesses of power. I was like, what's up with the show? What's the deal with the show? And sure enough, it's not a show that panders to the lowest common denominator, although it's obviously a kid's show. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the idea is it's very empowering for these girls. They're very realistic portrayals. The girls don't have this ridiculous idealized version of what they should look like. They all don't look like supermodels drawn by some creepy guy's fevered dreams. You know what I mean? These yeah. look like realistic girls. All right, so relatable. You know, this is kind of making me think of how we Buffy the Vampire Slayer when uh, she was accessible. She Buffy herself was a little bit on the blonde mold, but but her sidekicks were absolutely more diverse and absolutely. uh, Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon set the template. I mean, bottom line. But the show again, it's just stupid, brainless, fun. Twenty-two minutes, not having to think about pandemics not having to think about the thousands of people that are dying every day. So, you know what? It did its job. And I'm a brony. I'm very proud of it. So this reminds me, it has that same vibe of My Little Pony. So, you know, it's 22 minutes of escapist fun. That's what I'm watching. That is the Kaiser Binge Show. All right. So this is your, uh, it's not quite a a sensory deprivation tank because you are watching stuff. It's just you're, you're sort of... Going into your little world here, much like you would shut yourself out in a tank. I would usually be going into a first-person shooter, but I realized that might have been a little too intense. I just needed really happy, fluffy clouds and rainbows and unicorns and stuff like that. And good, very basic good versus evil. And good always winning. That's what I needed right now. We need more of that. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I I think I need to put this one on my ever-lengthening list because most of the day I'm so fried. Uh, usually I can only manage the YouTube channel for the Oregon Zoo with the tiny yes. goat visits yep. where the little <laughs> goats go and visit other <laughs> yes. animals. Yes. And they're adorable. I love Ruth and Sonia, but it's sort of, it's not like the big intellectual lift. Um, no. I'm not watching a documentary, no. but, Absolutely. But, but little pygmy goats visiting elephants is you know, it's it's kind of relaxing. This is, the, that's, this is the pygmy goat and elephants of animated cartoons. That's what it is. All right. All right. Well, exactly I will put nice. it in the rotation. Nice. Nice. I am assuming we have COVID-related news. We have some couple related news, some other podcast business news. Whoa, uh, and, podcast you know, business. little of this, little of that. Well, why don't we get into it? Because uh, sure. I know we have some, uh, speaking of podcast, podcast things to discuss uh, in the back part of the show. But uh, as we mentioned a few uh, weeks ago, I think it was weeks, maybe it was months, I don't know. Apple and Google have uh, finally rolled out that contact tracing software they were developing together. You know, the two uh, were teaming up like DC and Marvel here to create a super fast turnaround software 
to help do contact tracing for people who were dealing with the coronavirus. So right. the two tech giants are providing this code to the public so local authorities and governments can develop their own apps to help track the spread of COVID-19. So they, they've got the sort of off-the-shelf product, and then these governments can take it and modify it with their own things that they need in order to track the virus in their area and, and you know local custom geofencing and logos and all of that. Uh, Apple and Google are calling this an exposure and notification tool, and this is the one that does use uh, the Bluetooth function on the smartphone. Right. And participating users who are, have all signed up to do this will get alerts if they come close to someone who's also a registered user who's tested positive for the virus. So I guess the key to this is to get everyone to register to use it. We'll download it and then register and then just make sure that your health status is reported accurately uh, so that when an alert does go out, then you know, indeed, this person was infected and maybe you need to isolate for a few days to make sure you're not showing symptoms and then then try to trap the virus in its tracks that way. So so they turned this around. I think they only started working on it you know, four or six weeks ago, but they've wow. uh, put it out. So now the state and local governments will download the, the code, use it as a base, build their own app, put those out regionally, and then hopefully uh, people can start using it. And I know other countries have their own apps. I think North Dakota was developing one that actually was giving away location information and was maybe not the most secure thing. But having lived in North Dakota for four years, the state's population is not super high. So yeah. maybe that's yeah. not as much of a concern. Yeah, true. But Lots yeah, I think of wide open spaces. Yeah, I think there are more people in the city of Indianapolis than there are in the state of North Dakota, or it used to be. But still, you know, you, you want to be secure in your apps, especially when it's health and personal information uh, involved here. True that, so true that. So Apple and Google have knocked that out. COVID is changing the workplace. I know IBM uh, announced a huge chunk of layoffs, so it's starting to impact the tech sector. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg uh, predicts that within the next five to 10 years, about 50% of Facebook's workforce will be doing that uh, remotely. They'll be working from home. Although the option to work from home through the end of the year, I think, is still in place for those who can in non-sort of hardware engineering type places where you need to be in a, a specific place or with certain people. The company has announced that employees do have uh, the right to work from home till the end of the year. But uh, those who want to be in the office or have to be in the office, those global offices are starting to open, I think, around July 6th. They'll be limited to 25% capacity. Uh, there will be the temperature checks required uh, just to make sure nobody's running a fever here, which is one of the big symptoms. They're also planning on having people working on multiple shifts. But beyond the, the immediate future, uh, the social network is already uh, moving to let many of its 50,000 people and new recruits work from home on the permanent basis. So now all the pundits are saying, well, this decentralized approach will have an impact not only on office life, like will we even need a water cooler anymore, but corporate real estate and supporting businesses in the San Francisco Bay Area will be feeling that impact if all of a sudden there's 20,000 fewer people coming to work in a specific place. So I'm, uh, I'm imagining real estate for just general real estate will loosen up a little bit if that happens too, because you don't have to live in San Francisco. Yeah, and they've been having quite a the housing shortage for a while. Uh, prices very expensive. I think more expensive than New York, believe it or not. New York wow. has never been really a cheap place to live no. unless you were a, a beatnik in the 50s. Right. But it's uh, it's going to impact, I think, Manhattan real estate as well if certain companies just decide, hey, let's not pay this huge amount of money for a fancy glass office tower or a few floors of them. We can have people work from home and, you know, make their own coffee. It's going to be tumbleweeds. I can see it right now. It's going to be definitely uh, interesting. Also in Facebook news, the company is enlisting uh, the help of artificial intelligence once again. 
to aid them to stop and prevent scams in the Messenger app. Now, this new AI tool monitors account behavior on the Messenger service, you know, keeping lookout for bulk messaging and accounts that target certain demographics or certain parts of the world. Specifically, I think Facebook is thinking of younger users who, who may be more susceptible to scams. But in a statement, Facebook without said, we're introducing safety notices in Messenger that will pop up in chat and provide tips to help people spot suspicious activity and take action to block or ignore someone when something doesn't seem right. This is from Jay Sullivan, the director of product management there at uh, Messenger. Um, so they're leaning into the privacy and safety here. Uh, Mr. Sullivan went on to say, uh, we started rolling this feature out on Android in March, and we'll bring it to more people around the world in iOS soon. So I think if it's not out yet, it's it's rolling out. So then the messenger scams, are I've seen a few of them. I mean, people will try to scam you on any possible platform app or communications method they can find. Hmm. I've gotten three calls from a Mr. Spam Risk already today uh, just on my <laughs> phone because people got more time and so they're, they're fishing around. So. Yep, they sure are. Yeah, needless to say, I did not pick up any of those calls from Mr. Risk and just dumped them straight to voicemail. Once I saw the transcription, they they went out to see. Moving on, uh, Twitter continues to tinker with its platform. The bird-themed microblogging service is testing a new setting that gives users the power over who can reply to their tweets, a feature I think we uh, talked about or somebody mm-hmm. reported on earlier in the year. But in the current form, a user can specify the audience for a particular tweet by tapping an icon to call up a who can reply window. You then have the choice of three options, everyone, people you follow, or only people uh, you mention. So unless you choose everyone uh, out of that list, the reply function will be dimmed uh, for those and the people you follow and only people you mention groups. So this will limit probably a lot of uh, the really snarky replies if they can't actually have a active reply button in which to write that reply. Those people will still be able to view, like, and retweet the post. They just won't be able to reply directly to the poster. So I like that a lot. I think there'll also be a little disclaimer if someone's like sitting there banging on it and wondering why they can't write their vicious reply to whatever. It'll say that the replies on this thread are limited. There's going to be some kind of notification. But Twitter has also said this feature is only in the testing stage at the moment. But it looks like they're trying to maybe cut down on some of the fighting that might go on in, in one's replies. Yeah, and the hateful replies. I've, I've gotten enough of those in my life, so I don't really yeah. need any more. So yeah. I'm, so, so I'm well, down with this change. Hopefully it'll see the light of day. Uh, before too long. Amazon. Amazon, yes. Yes, they are moving their annual Sale Frenzy Prime Day shopping event from midsummer because it's usually like in July or something, mm-hmm. right? They're moving that from midsummer to September, and uh, the company's starting to allow unlimited shipments of non-essential goods to its warehouses. Uh, this is according to a report in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so the fact that they're loosening up some of the non-essential stuff probably means that they will have more variety of products and be getting them out to people faster. Because uh, for people who are addicted to Amazon, have probably noticed that uh, they're uh, shipping times and estimates were lengthened and deliveries were slowed, especially for non-essential items, uh, because they were trying so hard to get out things like disinfectant wipes and, and other sorts of things uh, to help with the uh, pandemic. So I'm still so maybe, waiting for my beard oil, Amazon. You know, well, it's probably coming by Pony Express. Well, uh, you know, my 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 face is not going to scratch itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but <laughs> although it gave me a re- weird visual, um, <laughs> but I know I know you hate horror movies, so um, so anyway, That's... so Amazon uh, kind of maybe trying to get back to I don't want to say normal because is anything ever going to be normal, but nah. sort of to more of their standard operating procedure. 
We'll yeah, it this way. is going to be weird. I got to tell you, I mean, I hate to sidebar here for a second, but you ever wonder what it's going to be like after this thing? Once it's done, there's going to be at least a year or two where people are still going to be all like, you know, don't touch me, get away from me, you know, like, yeah. you know, wearing masks and gas masks and stuff like that. But then eventually, like after 1918, once there's a vaccine, people are going to go back to normal and then we're yeah. gonna get, it will come up with the next pandemic. Yeah, that'll be the next thing. I think The Atlantic even did a story on that. It was like, yeah, you had the big Spanish flu in 1918. And then the 1920s were roaring, though. I mean, part of that was they couldn't drink, so they had to do their thing in speakeasies. But I think the vaccine is going to be key. Well, people who read and know science are going to be a little nervous about congregating in large groups and going out and especially getting on a plane because if it wasn't gross enough before – You know, it's still, even though the airlines are like, oh, you have to scan your own ticket now and you do that, you know, still you're in a flying metal tube piled on top of someone for anywhere from two to six hours. And with recirculating air, I'm just not, I ain't going to fly. Oh, no, I ain't going to fly either. I mean, it's yeah. trains trains and cars for me. Sorry, folks. Even the train is like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so 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 we'll see. But you, know, they're trying with you know the UV light in the subway, trying to kill the germs there, and and I think also we have to see when the infection rates start to really noticeably go down. Everyone's predicting that it's going to boomerang back, just like the 1918 one did, and it'll be rougher in the fall because we'll also be fighting seasonal flu virus on top of it. But I think we just need to see the numbers. We need to get people tested. We need to see the infection rates. And we need data to modulate our lifestyles. Yep. Until I see the datum, I ain't going out. Sorry, folks. Better order some more sweatpants from Amazon on Prime Day then. (laughs) And a bigger size. I need a bigger size, Amazon. Stretch those bad boys out. You know, stay home carbs, man. Oh, they are vicious. God, I got to start working out so bad. Resistance bands, it's a very good way to work out in the apartment. Hey, you and know what's funny? I have some. I yeah. got to dig them out. I got to yeah, dig them no, out. Yeah, no, they can, if you can't hit a treadmill or an elliptical or if walking too far makes you nervous, you know, just uh, do, do your stretchy bands. Uh, I think and, I'm going to do my stretchy bands with my stretchy pants. And, and and they don't hurt when you trip over them. Like if you trip over free weights and break a toe, like the, yeah, it's just I've giant rubber bands. So. I have done that, yes. Yes. But moving on with the news, news from the podcast front, which I know you are a watcher of this space. I am. I am. I uh, Spotify recently busted a move by acquiring, I guess, the exclusive rights to the Joe Rogan experience, which is something of a blockbuster in the podcast world. I know he's got... Quite a many thousands of followers. Millions, and this was a guy actually. who I think was sort of like a mediocre TV actor, but he's found his voice here in the podcast world. So he's uh, sold his uh, show to Spotify. And uh, the Verge site notes that uh, there's never been a single podcasting company that sells ads, makes shows, has an already popular podcast player, and offers the tools to make a new series. So Spotify now has all of that. And the Rogan deal means that it also offers a hit show that guarantees millions of people will regularly use its platform for podcast listening, uh, end quote there on The Verge. But they're kind of painting Spotify as maybe the, the big behemoth in the podcasting world. See, I know I was Apple ha- was sort of that for a while, but not anymore. Yeah. Apple gave up the space. They had their shot. They can't take it again. I was having this conversation literally not two hours before we started recording and I don't buy it about Spotify. Bottom line is podcasts do not make the same amount of money from advertising that they get from their streaming service. It doesn't period. And they are paying Joe Rogan $100 million. Ka-ching. Right. So you can't tell me 
that they're going to be able to monetize that. This has got to be some kind of move to, to place themselves in case of. This really feels like an in case of move. Have you been on Spotify? Do you use Spotify? I'm not a member, so I don't have the, the streaming privileges there. Our show is on Spotify. I subscribe to all the shows I produce and my company produces. It is almost impossible to find the shows, even if I'm subscribed there. The focus of Spotify is still to get me to play music mm-hmm. because every time I play music, they make a certain amount of chump change. They're not going to get that with podcasts. So you're going to get a three minute stream and make a certain amount of money on each minute that thing is played or however they monetize the thing or an hour long stream with maybe four or five commercial breaks in between that you're getting from an advertising company, which, as we both know, having been in a certain media business is Mm -hmm. volatile, to say the least. Yeah. So I don't get it. I don't buy it. I don't think Spotify is the player that everyone thinks it is. Pardon the pun. The The idea is, I don't know what their game is, but they're certainly throwing a lot of money, but I don't see this being a permanent move for them. At some point, they're going to go, eh, much like Google. Eh, you yeah, know what? Well, we tried. Yeah, see we'll get around the product. Exactly. Yeah, well- the podcast kind of seemed to be the big turf that a lot of the, the big companies are circling yes. around. I mean, Spotify's, you know, thrown its, its hat in the ring here with the Joe Rogan show. But Amazon, uh, you know, they own Audible and the Audible audiobook service. They've been meeting with talent agencies and producers to discuss acquiring potential new podcast projects. It seems like right. people are looking for the, the next big thing in podcasting. So so Audible is fishing around trying to find if they can get their stars. And Apple is said to be looking for an executive to lead a new team dedicated to original podcasts uh, exclusive to the company's services. Sources told Bloomberg here that uh, Apple is buying both audio spinoffs of existing movies and programs on its Apple TV service. So I guess, you know, the Emily Dickinson podcast or whatever. But they're also looking at original programs that could eventually be adapted into future Apple TV Plus video content. So they're trying to get their own sort of stable of material here. They're looking for fiction stuff. They're looking for for storytelling stuff. I mean, again, getting back to the Joe Rogan thing, I just want to make a point for all these folks who don't understand the podcast business. Joe Rogan is essentially an interview show. It's a chat show. It's a comedian telling jokes and talking to people. It is a very, very simple show to produce. It is not a serial that takes years of reporting and production. So it's a really cheap show to make. There's going to come a point, I think, very soon where a lot of these networks are going to start to understand the financial dynamics of this. Would they rather pay for maybe a show by two tech nerds who love talking about pop culture stuff, who are doing it in their bedrooms and in their closets. I'd listen to that. I'd listen to that every week. (laughs) Or pay an enormous amount of money for this tightly produced, incredibly reported piece of documentary, you know, audio. Audio, yeah. No, the the, the scripted stuff just takes so much time, you know, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. It costs a lot of money to make them too, folks. So, I mean, this is an interesting time in the business because I honestly believe, again, you know, I'm a big believer in the whole DIY aesthetic and, you know, podcast as punk. 
And there's going to be that, that turn again, you know what I mean? Where, you know, it's going to be cool again to do, do podcasts like we've been doing all along, but who knows, maybe that's just wishful thinking. All right. So uh, we'll see where it goes podcast wise. Now, in honor of Global Accessibility Awareness Day this past week, Google rolled out new ease of use features for Android and Google Maps. They're trying to make all their products easier to use. Some of Google's improvements here include an app called Action Blocks, which are basically multi-step shortcuts for certain activities that the Google Assistant can perform. And you can launch them with one tap or a voice. I think Apple's shortcuts thing for Siri is a similar thing. Action Block sounds like a Saturday morning car cartoon thing. It does, actually. It's the NBC action block. Yes. <laughs> Having fond memories with Schoolhouse yes. Rocks, you know, slicing in and out of the blocks. And sugary cereal. Yes. So the action blocks there are designed to help people, I guess, with uh, cognitive disabilities and their caregivers. Works on Android devices and I guess on Android 5.0 and above. So, so not super old Androids, but, but they made it fairly wide. Google has also enhanced its live transcribe feature to do things like vibrate the phone when someone nearby says your name. So people who maybe couldn't hear it, would see that their phone's vibrating and know someone's trying to get their attention. So they've added that. And Google's also got this thing called Sound Amplifier that clarifies the sound around you. That now works with Bluetooth headphones, so another thing for people who may have some uh, hearing or audio impairments. uh, Bluetooth. could be useful. Yes. So, so Google's working it on the accessibility. They also rolled out version 83 of the Chrome browser, which apparently has 1 billion users. And uh, part of that may be because it's on every platform, Windows, Mac, Linux, Android, and iOS. So t- tons of Chrome. Chrome 83 includes a new safety check feature in the settings that tells you if the passwords you've saved in Chrome have been compromised and what you should do if they have been. The safety check feature also alerts you if Chrome is like out of date where maybe you don't have the latest security features to keep out the bad things. And also tell you if Google's malware blocking safe browsing service is turned off. I've seen safe browsing jump up on a couple of things where like this site is unsafe and yep, it's yep. actually kind of helpful. It is. So very- it's going to warn you if that has been turned off. And also if you have any malicious extensions installed, whether you meant to do that or not. So Chrome's going to warn you about that. It also blocks third party cookies uh, when you're surfing in incognito mode. So I think Chrome automatically updates unless you've disabled that feature. So most people are probably running Chrome 83 uh, even as we talk. And I got to admit, it doesn't grind my Mac down to a crawl like it used to. So Yeah, yeah. They've gotten better with uh, the RAM leaks and the power management. They sure and, have, yeah. You know, the sure extreme wheezing of the fan if you have more than two tabs open. Wheezing. Yes. Circling back to Apple here, rumors of Apple's own take on augmented reality glasses are starting to pop up. I know you've been waiting for these uh, since the demise of of the Google spendy spectacles. Uh, Now, leaks around this so-called Apple Glass product, which please pick a different name. Apple really glass. They're starting to filter out. They're they're saying that it may be about $499 on the starter price tag. If you happen to have prescription lenses, you can get them installed in, in these frames and it'll be more expensive. Clearly, that's an option. But the glasses are expected maybe, I think, at March 2021 at the earliest. They would have AR displays for both eyes that respond to gestures. And they would need to be wirelessly paired with an iPhone to work, much like the original Apple Watch did. You always had to have your phone on you. Again, all rumor and conjecture, but people who have a talent for finding out rumors that are actually things seem to be talking a lot about 
Apple Glass. You know what? It was bad enough being a Google Glass hole. You don't want to be an Apple Glass hole now. Yeah, I mean, you think with with all of their expertise and branding and product names, you know, and eyeglass is not going to work here either. Of course, they have a little eyeglass. I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been cheap. Who knows? Uh, but Who I think knows? they're, yeah. So, so we'll see if it actually comes to fruition again because things are getting pushed back and nobody is really rolling out, I think, super big stuff uh, or having their big product demos at the end of the year. I think the spring, maybe, maybe when we see some of this stuff. But uh, so, so they're working on that. Apple is also trying to deepen its Apple TV Plus catalog by supplementing its original programming with older movies and TV shows, uh, I guess, to help them compete with the likes of Hulu and Netflix and Disney Plus and everyone who's got like the back catalog of Cheers or I think that's CBS All Access. But CBS, yeah. Yeah, but all all of these streaming services that if you don't want want to watch the two or three original shows that don't stink on the service, maybe you go back and you watch some old favorites. So well, hold there, on a second. Uh, there are actually shows on there that don't stink. People like that morning show one. Uh, I haven't on, seen it. I'm gonna. I, yeah. I, I, you know what? I'm gonna give it a try before I snark. Yeah, because it. it's Brian Stelter's book, so I'll I'll give that one the benefit of the doubt. But I uh, saw. I saw. I am. We like Brian Stelter. I yeah. saw Mythic Quest. Mm-hmm. One episode. That's all I'm going to say. Did did you stop questing after that? I vigorously stopped questing. <laughs> all right. So enough of that. Yes. But Apple is uh, that they're realizing that they, if they throw some money at this thing, they can get some some big names too. The service also acquired the rights to stream Greyhound, which is not a movie about a bus company. It's the new Tom <laughs> Hanks World War II thriller that was originally planned as a theatrical release from Sony, I think, in May, and then it got bumped to Father's Day, and then was sort of up in the air because. Nobody's going to movie theaters, but uh, Apple has acquired the rights to this, and they're going to stream it on Apple TV+. Plus. They have not announced a start date for the film's home stream yet, but they got a Tom Hanks movie, which I think he wrote and starred in, and it's yeah. uh, something about the Battle of the North Atlantic and World War II, which, you know, he, he does pretty good with boat movies. And in his war movies. Yeah. So, so war and boats put them together. World War II, uh, also Saving yes. Private Ryan. We remember him in that. So, He's so good in the uniform. We know that. He does the yeah. planes, too. Planes, yeah. baby, planes. Yeah, so so Apple has uh, snapped that up. So so I guess they're they're trying to stick it to to their competing services there with the Netflix and the Hulu and so yeah. on. And Disney Plus. The, the new big kahuna that's kind of emerged. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, speaking of streaming, and finally. And finally. You know how some companies get you to subscribe and then hope you'll be too lazy to cancel the service even if you haven't used it in a while? Nope, like all I of don't, them? I don't know that person. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they uh, yeah, and that's how they make the money is because you, you're yeah. too lazy to, to knock it off your credit card recurring charge. However, Trust not me. Netflix. Uh, the streaming service will be looking at accounts that have been idle for at least a year since the person joined, or people who haven't watched anything in two years, and they're going to audit these accounts on the back end, see who's logged in, who's done what. The holders of those dusty accounts will get a notification asking to confirm if they'd like to keep subscribing, and if they do, then they just respond and say yes, I like to keep my Netflix account, things been busy, I don't have time to watch, whatever. But those who fail to respond will have their subscriptions automatically canceled. I'm sure there's probably some motive on the back end for, for you know, their own uh, server and data needs. But but Netflix is just going to cancel people if, if they don't respond that they would like to keep their unused account. Well, you know what I think it is? I think it has to do with their ratings or, I mean, whatever comparable ratings, how many streams people watch. If you've got 500 million viewers or active people and 10 million people watch a stream, 
out of 500 million, that doesn't sound as good as 10 million people out of 400 million. Yeah. So let's get rid of all the dead weight who don't actually watch any streams and our numbers might actually be a little more accurate. Yeah, then we'll pop right up there. That's there a go. very good point. So, uh, so, so yeah, so the Netflix has, uh, they're, I guess, helping out people in some ways, but uh, also helping their own uh, yeah. rating system, we think. So, yes, um, scratching each other's backs. Yes. If you don't have that account and maybe times are hard and you're having 13 bucks knocked off your card every month, you know, maybe hey, it's not a bad thing. Not if a you bad thing. Didn't figure out. Or and some people, I think, may have not realized they signed up or their kids did it and they didn't realize this account. You know, unless you look at your credit card bills, you don't really see all these little, you know, duck nibbles of charges uh, frittering right. away. That's right. So, uh, yeah, so if you haven't used your Netflix in a while, uh, you may be hearing from the company soon. Check your spam filter. But that's about it for the news. Uh, for all of those out there who want to know more about any of the stories we talked about, you want to read the original links to them, uh, we'll have a page at poptechjam.com. All right, we're going to talk more about podcasts. J.D. Pedro. Last week we did an episode where in the back half of the show, we talked about microphones and it was a lot of fun for me. I love talking about stuff like that. I know these are your new action figures or your microphones. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I love, I mean, I go online just to look at new microphones just to see, can I use it? Can I buy it in mm -hmm. a noisy apartment in New York City? Mm -hmm. And it was fun, but then I got a follow up. Somebody reached out, they DM'd me, they slid into my DMs, mm -hmm. and they asked me, after listening to that show, I guess they were inspired, they asked me, well, how are you recording if you can't get into the recording studio to use these microphones? And it's like, you know, that's a really good question, because mm -hmm. people don't realize, a lot of people probably don't realize how we're doing this. We're not in the same room. Yeah. I try to get the best quality possible. We talked about the microphones we used. But the actual platform, we're not, you know, there's no recorder. We're completely VoIPing it. We're VoIPing oh, yes. it. VoIP, VoIP, VoIP. VoIP, VoIP, VoIP. This is voice over IP. When you're doing any type of audio recording in a radio studio or, you know, like any type of really fancy public radio outlet or something like that, you have a lot of options on how to record. You can do it over the phone. You can do ISDN. You can do all sorts of stuff. And one of the options is voice over IP, which is also the way you actually make calls on your cell phone if you're connected to Wi-Fi. It's all voice over IP. So what some services have done is they have specialized completely in allowing folks to record audio over internet protocol. And they will, instead of scrunching it down and, you know, making it sound like you're in a tin can, they've actually given you full audio resolution. So right now, JD and I are recording using one of these platforms and we've got full uncompressed audio that I'm recording. Once we're done, the platform we're using will download the files automatically. They're recorded on each of our computers and then I get the file sent to me directly from JD's machine because I'm hosting the file. So while we're talking to each other, the audio might not be crystal clear. It might not sound great. But once I get it, I've got the uncompressed audio from JD's computer and her fancy microphone as if she was recording it on Pro Tools or Audacity or some type of audio app 
on her own computer. So the quality is going to be pristine, of course, depending on what kind of microphone you use. So if you're using your onboard microphone, it's going to sound like you recorded it on your onboard microphone. So there are a lot of these platforms out there. The three that I use the most, and you can actually do this on Zoom too. If you dig into the Zoom options, they will allow you to record the audio. You can record video and audio or just audio. The problem with that is Zoom, as you know from using the platform, is being smashed to bits right now with hundreds and thousands of people using it. Every time somebody logs on, that degrades your connection. So be aware of that. And that goes for every one of the services that I'm going to be talking about, every one of these platforms. They're all server-dependent platforms. So the more people are using them at peak times, you're going to have to work around glitches and stops and starts. It's just the way of the beast. I mean, you can get this type of stuff at home. You can set up a point-to-point voice over IP system, you know, systems like Comrex or something like that really high-end ISDN type lines where it's full quality, but they cost in the thousands of dollars. So this is a cheap and relatively easy way to record your audio. So the first one that I use is Ringer. It is R-I-N-G-R. They're dropping the vowel. I hate that. It's a thing. Yep, it's a thing. The Ringer is an interesting service. They offer two platforms, technically three, but two platforms for regular users. You've got a basic tier, which is like $8 a month, and you've got a premium tier, which is $18.99 a month. Now, what they allow you to do is when you connect to the service, when you create a session, you are able to record in studio quality if you're using the premium service and in excellent quality, which they call excellent, is an MP3 file. MP3 is usually good enough for rock and roll. So you have a decent option in terms of quality. They used to offer full uncompressed wave files, but because of the COVID-19 crush that a lot of people have been using the service, they no longer offer the completely uncompressed format. The closest they offer is FLAC, which is an, an uncompressed format, but is actually compressed. Now, the killer feature of Ringer is that it has an iOS app which allows you to record into one of these Ringer sessions through your phone. So in other words, I can be on my computer and connect to JD if she's using the Ringer app on her phone and use the microphone or a connected microphone on my iOS device and get decent quality sound. So I would be hosting it and recording on my end and you're on the phone, you're either on an iOS device or an Android device and we're good to go. The service, unfortunately has been hit or miss recently because, as I mentioned, of the COVID-19 issue. They're getting slammed. I mean, sometimes it's unusable, so be aware of that. Mostly in the mornings and in the afternoons, I guess most people are doing their stuff in the morning and in the middle of the day. I would recommend that if you're going to be doing any mobile recording, if you need to have somebody on iOS and record, use that service. Another service that I use and I like very much is called Zencaster. Again, they drop the E, they drop the vowel, really annoys me. They've got two tiers, a $20 a month that gives you unlimited guests. So you can literally like put in four or five people and send them an invite to join this session. It records in full wave, uncompressed. You can also record in high quality MP3. Nice little feature is if you're going to do your show live 
they have a soundboard, so you could do sound effects and all that stuff. And another killer feature for that $20 a month is it will do post-production for you. So it'll level stuff out. If you're not really in a situation where you can engineer or mix your audio, it will level things out and make things sound smooth and professional sounding. They have a free tier, which records in MP3, and will allow you to pay to use the post-production, but it's got limits. It will now, because again, during the coronavirus outbreak, they will allow you unlimited guests and recording time. They usually have a limit on how much you record on their free tier. That brings up the issue that because of the crush on these servers of people using the free service, there will be occasion when there is a lag, wherein there's a delay. Sometimes you'll get weird echo. You may have to restart and stop and start. So you will have to deal with that because of what's going on. And unfortunately, it's unavoidable. But it's not as bad with the Zencaster as it is with Ringer. Now, the service that I like to use and that JD and I use to record our show, it's called Squadcast. Now, again, let me let me mention that these are in no way, shape, or form the only services that are out there. There are a lot of services out there. These might not even be the best ones out there. These are just the ones that I like using. Squadcast particularly is one that I'm I like using. It has three tiers. Dabbler is about ten dollars a month. The creator is about $20 a month, and the pro is anywhere from $39 to $45 a month. Now, the service will actually limit you by hours. So in the lower tier, it's two hours of recording per month, five hours for their creator tier, and 12 hours for their pro tier. Now, you get, you know, standard uncompressed waveform, you get MP3. There is a cloud studio, basically what they call, which is there where we connect. JD and I will connect via video. That's the killer feature for this. It allows you to, dis, to, to see each other over video. And that's important, especially on a show like Pop Tech Jam. JD and I really need to react to each other to see where things are going. So doing it in audio is a little harder to edit. But now that I can see her and she can see me, it tends to, to make the banter and the, the shenanigans a little easier to do. And much like Zencaster, this cloud studio is sort of like a dashboard. You can see all your sessions. You can see where everything's going. You can invite people to these particular sessions, download the files after you're done. It is a better option than, in my personal opinion, than Zencaster. If I had to rate these services in terms of my favorite, best to least, I would uh, start with Squadcast. Never had a server issue. If there is a problem with a file, they have a backup that you can just call up and recreate the audio file. So I've never lost a file, which I have in both Zencaster and Ringer. What I like about Zencaster, my number two, is that it can connect to Dropbox. So instead of me having to, like I need to do with Squadcast, instead of having to connect to Squadcast and download the files from there, I have to, I can go to Dropbox when I'm using Zencaster. I wish Squadcast had that feature because it's no muss, no fuss. It's super easy to use. And then Ringer would bring up the rear. These are all really fine services depending on how much you're willing to spend, how much money you have on your budget and your project. You can't go wrong with any of them, but Squadcast would be my number one. And that's what we do. That's how we make the sausages here. 
Mm-hmm. Sorry for rambling on so long, JD, but... Voip sausages. No, I was like, oh, sausages. I, was just, I didn't know where that audio was going. I knew it was doing something, but yeah, I, no, I figured it's, that's... It's, it's all kind of crazy. All kinds of crazy. But but it's incredibly handy because we used to record in a studio. We can't be in the same room together. No, can't be. In We're the on the same borough, but you yeah, know, aside from that, uh, yeah, it's very uh, it's very convenient, and it also you don't have to book studio time. You say, hey, you got a minute? Let's do this, and yeah. just avoiding the rush hour of when the internet's really busy with all of the school classes doing remote learning and exactly. work being video intensive when you can find the, the kind of quieter times it's, it's really easy and simple and good quality yep and the thing about squadcast and zencaster you can use them on mobile apps just not on ios so android is your platform of choice if you want to use that to record cool well, hopefully this answered uh, the, the listener's question on, on how we're doing this show yeah. uh, in Corona times. Corona time in the Q-Zone. Mm-hmm. I think we should thank the bros. Oh, yes, we should definitely thank the bros who, who've been with us from the get-go. Thank yes, you, bros. Have. Thank you, bros. Builtbybros.com. If you think it, they will build it. Yes, and thank you, listeners. We hope you're staying uh, safe and sane out there, no matter uh, what what your state of, of pandemic living is. Hey, we're heading into summer now, so it's a whole new ballgame. It's Memorial Day. I'm going to move from the left side of the couch to the right side. That's my big Memorial Day uh, action. Put on your patriotic sweatpants. <laughs> but uh, until next time, when we're back with more... I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. Stay safe out there. Stay safe, folks. All right. She-Ra, you say. She-Ra, princesses of power.